Hello, everybody. Adam Parks with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today, I'm here with David Reed, who is the general counsel for RMAI, or the Receivables Management Association International. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing excellent, Adam. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I've actually really been looking forward to an opportunity for us to have a chat on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having the opportunity to work with you as I've sat on the RMAI board for the last decade and kind of learned a little bit about the evolution of the organization. I've learned a lot from you about advocacy um, and obviously the RMAI certification program, which is kind of the direction I want to to kind of take the conversation in today. Um, But for anybody who is not been as lucky as me to spend some time with you on the road through the years. Could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? Gosh, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> let me try to do it in a short period of time. I, I sometimes am known for, for being long-winded. But, um, you know, it's one of those stories about uh, uh, when you make a decision when you're very young, it can influence the rest of your life and you don't even realize that you're doing it. Uh, But right out of law school, I went to work for the New York State Assembly. And when I, my first day at work, the chief counsel said to me, well, you can choose um, uh, two committees. You can choose either education and higher education, or you can choose uh, that you, banks and, or I'm sorry, um, uh, insurance or transportation. And I, I didn't really know much about insurance or transportation. So I said, I'll, I'll do the education uh, and higher education committees. And uh, that one decision in that split second really has uh, kind of controlled my career path ever since. You know, I, I had, and you might be saying, well, all right, how does that work with the collection industry? Uh, but it, it, it actually, once you hear it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, so I, I did, uh, uh, I was counsel to the, the education and higher education committee in both in the New York State Assembly as well as the New York State Senate. In between the two, uh, for a stint, I was also um, a registered uh, lobbyist uh, for uh, education organizations. Uh, but when I was uh, finishing up my fourth year working for the New York State Senate Majority Leader, uh, I was approached by the governor's office, uh, who I had worked with over the years in my various capacities, and they had a position that they were curious if I was interested in, and it was uh, Deputy General Counsel at the New York State Higher Education Services Corporation, and uh, uh, HESC for short. Um, not only was responsible for the uh, scholarships and grants in New York State, they were also uh, the guarantee agency for the old federal family education loan program. Mm. In fact, they were the sixth largest guarantee agency in the nation. So I went there uh, and uh, worked for uh, about a year and a half for the governor. Um, And as part of um, being the guarantee agency, they had a huge collections floor. Uh, they, I want to say they probably had about seven, probably about between 50 and 70 employees that, uh, were part of the call service, uh, center, uh, uh, to do collections on defaulted uh, student loans. 
So uh, the gov- long story short, the governor decided he wasn't uh, going to run for re-election. And I decided to find a new job before the next gov- governor invited me to leave, which is a thing when you work for um, an elected official. So that led me to California in 2006. Uh, I was able to get a position at, as general counsel at a um, company called EdFund. It no longer exists, but it was the second largest student loan guarantor in the United States. They guaranteed approximately $32 billion uh, under the old federal family education loan program. Uh, and they also had a, a collection floor. Actually, it was uh, two levels. Uh, of, uh, and we employed about 200 uh, debt collectors who were uh, on the phone with um, uh, the the consumers, mm-hmm. uh, and I was I was there for about four years. When eventually uh, we elected a, a new president who decided to nationalize the student loan program and eliminate the Fell program, uh, and um, so you know the, the company I went to work for was. A, there's a lot of um, acquisition, mergers, consolidation because there was only a legacy portfolio, and um, uh, we were acquired by another another company. Mm-hmm. So that actually brought me to uh, DBA now RMAI, and uh, I've been here for this will be my twelfth year uh, working uh, for for RMAI. So uh, hopefully that wasn't too long. But like I said, I'm some. No, I think it's an interesting long. story. And I know you and I talked about this and I couldn't remember what city or, you know, what restaurant we were sitting in, but I do remember us having this conversation many years ago. I think it's always interesting to hear kind of how all different kinds of people found themselves in our particular space. But now you find yourself with RMAI as general counsel. Tell us a little bit about RMAI and what it is that you guys do. Yeah. Well, so RMAI, we're a a nonprofit trade association. We represent over 620 companies nationwide. We have members that are headquartered in virtually every state in the country. I think there's maybe four states we don't have a member in. Um, uh, Two of them I can remember off the top of my head. So if there's anybody who's listening from West Virginia or Vermont, welcome (laughs) aboard. (laughs) But you know, we represent, uh, obviously, the debt buying industry. Um, uh, we were founded as the trade association representing the debt buying industry. Originally, kind of how the name evolved. Uh, when we were first founded in 1997, it was called the Debt Buyers Association. Eventually, uh, the name uh, transformed to um, DBA. We, rather than the full name, we just use uh, uh, DBA International. And then in 2017, largely because of our national certification program, we changed our name one more time from uh, DBA International uh, to uh, Receivables Management Association International, also known as RMAI. And so it's not only uh, the debt buying industry we represent, but we also represent originating creditors. We represent third-party collection agencies, collection law firms, uh, vendors, uh, and specifically within vendors. And again, it ties in with our certification program. Uh, We represent uh, process servers uh, and um, uh, brokers. you know, we also have international members, although, you know, perhaps that's an area of growth for us. We don't have too tremendous number of uh, international members, but uh, obviously um, we do encourage uh, international membership as well. 
So, you know, having worked with and been going to RMAI conferences now for, I believe, 2024 will be my 18th consecutive conference. Um, you beat I, me. I, yeah. I mean, literally going back to the DBA days when the conference was at the Mirage in Las Vegas. Um, and we've been at the Aria now for, I guess, close to a decade, if not a little longer. <clears throat> but you know, it was actually the Aria. The Aria was my very first conference uh, and it was the very first year it was at the Aria. So I always remember the, the year that would have been uh, 2012 was the, okay. the first year at the Aria. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned as we were talking was about, cert, you know, the certification program with RMAI, of which you've been intimately involved um, oh, yeah. throughout its inception and its management going forward. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I, I thought would be interesting for us to talk about today is a little bit about the certification program and how that's kind of changed the discussion through the years in terms of RMAI's advocacy on a federal, state, and local level. Because it does feel like the whole storyline and everything really has changed. And, you know, a lot of the players remain the same, but I feel like what's changed is the the quality of the messaging. Um, and I think certification becomes kind of a keystone in that overall discussion. So like you've been there since the beginning. Can you talk to us a little bit about the evolution of the certification program? Yeah, and actually I didn't realize this at the time, but that was actually part of the reason why um, Army, uh, I was interested in hiring me back uh, in 2011. Um, it was just my background. I, I'm a prolific drafter. I love drafting, whether it's policies, whether it's legislation. Uh, it, it's just something I very much enjoy, and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm pretty good at it. And uh, you know, at the time, uh, Mike Ben Dixon was was president of the board, and uh, Jan. Steger had recently come on as uh, executive director. It was at the time when the board of directors had decided in, I guess it would have been 2010, 2011, that they wanted to bring um, the association in-house rather than using an external uh, company to manage the association. They wanted to hire employees. So uh, we, uh, Jan was employee number one. I, I think I might have been employee number four. Uh, but uh, Jan and I are still here. Employees two and three are no longer here. <laughs> but, but um, uh, you know, when I first got on board, it was probably within a, a couple of months. Mike Ben Dixon and Jan, you know, spoke to me and said, you know, we want to develop something. We're not exactly sure what it is, but it's something to do with certification. Um, and, and this is something a project we like to put you in charge of, you know, you were going to get you a lot of volunteers to assist in the development of it. And so pretty much for the entire, well, 10 months in 2012, uh, that was pretty much all I did in addition to the, the government relations. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would often sit actually exactly where I'm sitting here and I could, in, when I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone. There were some days that I never got out of my chair for eight hours. All I did was draft the, the you know, the certification program. And it really did take that long. It took about 10 months worth of work to develop the certification that's, program. That's a long we time, had, David. Uh, that's, a, that's a long <laughs> time and a pretty serious commitment, but... <laughs> And we had, you know, a very large volunteer uh, group. It, um, it was a task force that we uh, had formed. Um, gosh, I think we had upwards of 60 volunteers on the task force, uh, broken into committees. And we had a central task force that 
uh, Stacy Shackner had uh, had shared. Uh, and, you know, uh, they would review my work and give me uh, uh, edits and, and, you know, point me in the right direction. And, and we kind of did that back and forth for, for 10 months and went to the board. The board approved it. And then I went to the membership uh, and they approved it in 2013. Uh, and that's when we launched the certification program in 2013. But it really, to your point, it really was a touchstone within the industry uh, because obviously I was for two years lobbying uh, on behalf of the industry at the state level mm-hmm. without the certification program. And it was challenging. I mean, you know, I, I often say, you know, this industry, uh, while very important and valuable uh, and needed, it's also not apple an apple pie and motherhood type of uh, warm and fuzzy that you get from from uh talking about that collection, let's mm-hmm. face it. And, uh, you know, it, it you, you could really sense that when you're talking with legislators and regulators about the industry and the importance of the industry. And, you know, and whenever you talk about the industry, obviously consumer protection, consumer rights are always, you know, uh, right there with it. The two are really, you know, intricate, intricately linked. And, uh, you know, we really w- were missing you know, that part of the conversation. And when we launched the certification program and the development of these best industry best practices, it really was transformative. And I, I noticed it immediately in my, my conversations with legislators, regulators, and even consumer advocates, where we um, were able to advocate for common sense changes in legislation when, um, you know, when we were negotiating and be able to point to our best practices within our our certification program. And and I really think every single year it really has built upon it, uh, um, uh, you know, each each year. And it's as the program has become more uh, ex- widely accepted, both by uh, originators as well as within the industry, uh, it's also become uh, more widely accepted among uh, regulators, attorney generals, um, legislators, um, uh, you know, the press occasionally references our certification program and even the consumer advocates. I mean, I, I, I deal um, with consumer advocates all the time in my responsibility um, negotiating state, state legislation. And it really has uh, given us as close to the apple pie and motherhood as we could possibly get. Um, I don't think we'll ever get there, but, but it really has helped. I think it's a credibility statement, right? When I look at something like yeah. the, like the RMAI certification program, it's a credibility statement. And I think that the the way that the certification program is structured um, is, is somewhat unique because I, I remember some of the earlier conversations and I wasn't on the board or part of certification as it was being born. I kind of came in um, as the organization was going through the rebranding process. I think it was 2016. Um, and so like that was kind of my, you know, my background and my focal point. But I, I remember a lot of conversations around the independent auditing and having third parties that are coming in to validate that these things are being done. So it's not just saying like, these are the standards, it's saying these are the standards and here's how we're validating compliance of all of those that bear the seal of certified. And I think that's a very interesting and was a very difficult um, task to you know, to get into place because even once you've got all these great ideas, then you've got to get this catalyst going of actually putting all of these things in place. 
It's one thing to say everybody must be certified, but now you've got to get these certified auditors together and start, you know, communicating and organizing that group of people, those that are being certified, those that are pushing certification on their vendors, like getting all of that going simultaneously, I'm sure took 60 plus volunteers being actively involved uh, because that's a major undertaking. But once you've got something like that in place, it really does change the conversation. And, you know, from as I've watched it and and, I've, and as I've done lobbying through the years, um, even outside of lobbying, if you just think about human relationships, the easiest way to enter into a relationship between two people is by giving rather than asking, right? Like all the best relationships that you have in, you li- in your life, you generally gave something where you were in need and received something. And it creates this somewhat of a bond between people. And I think when we go, when, when RMAI goes in from a legislative or an advocacy standpoint at this you know, at this time, it's not just going in and saying, hey, I want, I need, right? We're not going in there with an ask. The organization is going in there and saying, look at the things that we're doing now, right? Like these things are working. Like let us help you understand how we've been able to get these things in place and how we can, you know, all work together towards a better financial future. Uh, But I think that that dynamic of starting a conversation with that give versus then walking in there with an ask enables an opportunity to establish real relationships and conversations with people that may not always have the same point of view. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how the, not only RMAI has evolved with the sense of the certification program, but also how our, um, lobbying strategy has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was first hired, uh, and I was the first person to, you know, fill this role of, of an employee that was focused on government affairs, but it wasn't that the board wasn't doing government affairs before I arrived. They they were, but, um, you know, I think the strategy, strategy by and large before I came on board was if there was a bill we hated, we went in and we opposed the bill, you know, basically saying this bill makes no sense and, and the bill shouldn't move forward. You know, things that, you know, I guess, you know, most lay people who aren't involved in government affairs or work for government would do all the time without, you know, because well, we don't like the bill. And I told them, you know, that was actually not the, the, the most productive strategy. Um, you know, that from my experience, we're both working you know, for uh, the Senate majority leader or assembly minority leader or for the governor, you know, when people came in and basically in a, often in a very polite way, basically saying your bill sucks, um, you you don't really um, create that type of dynamic that would encourage further dialogue. Um, And, you know, you know, and, and, and so the, it's not that you're like, oh, thank you for that information. And then you, you don't move forward anymore. The bill continues to move forward because the legislator wants their bill to be passed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once the lobbyists who would take that approach would see the bill is like moving towards passage, they come in and say, oh, can we make uh, amendments? And, you know, you kind of already burnt that bridge by the way your, your, your first interaction. So, you know, what I, you know, really thought was important for the association is to really listen to the legislators and, and what, what is the dynamic? What was the reason why they introduced the bill? There's usually a backstory and it's important to understand what that backstory is because you can't solve a problem if you don't know what the backstory is. 
So that was, you know, step number one, you know, what, where did this bill come from and what was the, the motivation? Um, what, what are your end goal? What are you really looking to achieve? And once you get that, you know, you can work with the legislator to try to find a mutual solution that, that both parties can live with. So I often, you know, when I first meet with a, a legislator or a regulator for that matter, on a bill uh, that, you know, we, we just can't live with, you know, I will start the conversation by saying, listen, you know, we appreciate your, where you, your concern. We appreciate your goal. We have some concerns. Unfortunately, we can't, um, we, unfortunately, we support, we oppose the bill right now, but we would like to get to either a supporting or a neutral position. Um, and I, you know, I, I really think we can work with you uh, in trying to find that, that those mutual um, uh, areas uh, that we can uh, remove our opposition. We're not here to kill bills. We're here to make bills work. And, you know, that type of message resonates uh, with, with elected officials, with regulators. Um, and because it keeps the conversation going. Well, with anybody. And we've had a, oh, yeah, with anybody. <laughs> right. And, and we've had a remarkable success with that strategy. You know, I, I, you know, I would say well over 90% of bills that RMEI engages in we, uh, are, are victories. Um, victories in either the bill doesn't move forward anymore or uh, the bill is substantially amended to a, to a place that we can be comfortable with and the legislators happy that they're getting a bill done. And in the end, you know, I consider that all, all, you know, a victory either way. No, I, I very much do as well. And, you know, I, I think your approach is, is working, right? Like the, the interaction and the involvement that the trade association has been able to have with regulators and legislators as they've been going through these processes are being heard with open ears when we're kicking things off with talking about certification and working together and finding those areas of, uh, of mutual concern and taking out those roadblocks of what are ultimately and usually unintended consequences, right? That they're just not seeing from the their perspective or, or from their vantage point. Well, David, I really want to thank you for coming on and having a chat with me today. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm hoping that I can get you back on here again in the future for an additional discussion. You know, there's so many different things that you're working on. It's just hard to stay on top of uh, the relevancy because things change so rapidly in your world. Well, and, and anytime. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Adam, to come on. Um, and like I said, I am a little long-winded, but we could probably talk for hours on any of these topics. Uh, I, I, I definitely enjoy sharing the background with our, you know, about RMEI and, and you know, our certification program, especially. Um, you know, it, it really is a, a unique program within the industry and even broader than just our industry, because I know some regulators appoint to our certification program for other industries that are looking at developing a certification program because they like a lot of the elements that we've built into our certification program, including the independent third party audits, including the, the annual review of the program standards and the like. So, um, anytime happy to, to, to join you. Well, we'll definitely have you back on here again. For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions that you'd like to ask David or myself, you can leave those in the comments on LinkedIn and YouTube, and we'll be responding to those. Uh, if you have additional topics that you'd like to see us cover, you can leave those in the comments as well. And hopefully I can get David back on here to continue helping me create great content for a great industry. But thank you everybody for watching. David, I will see you again soon, I'm sure. And everybody, thank you for watching. 
Thank you, Adam.